The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Deirdre Boza with John Fort. Carl has the morning off. Tech stocks, they are getting slammed. The Nasdaq down as much as more than 4% this session. E-commerce names are getting hammered. Shopify, eBay, Etsy, all following Amazon's big drop after earnings. Amazon itself down more than 6%. Speaking of earnings, the CEOs of both Paramount and Expedia, they're ahead this hour. Only on Tech Check, John, it's going to be a big show. Yeah, deep, but that sell-off is where we're going to start after a brief post-Fed rally for tech. NASDAQ's deep in the red this morning, giving back those gains, now just narrowly in the green for the week. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli has got some perspective on this drop, and we call it a drop, Mike, but we're just about where we were at this time yesterday. Yes. Uh, so basically, a head fake in one direction. Maybe it's a head fake in the other direction, John. And it's the kind of twitchy action that you do see with a market under this kind of pressure, right? Down 20% or so. We still are above the lows from earlier in the week, but not by much. And in fact, the NASDAQ 100 is starting to really sort of give up a lot of that the accumulated gains over the prior couple of years. A couple of levels that I think are worth uh, keeping in mind is this one back here. That was the Labor Day 2020 after that initial rush, everybody wanting to pile into the big NASDAQ 100 names as pandemic plays, as instruments of safety. It's really not that far below where we are right now, but the more immediate issues here uh, are right there. So we're under uh, 13,000 again, and it seems as if uh, they don't have the sort of fundamental traction that investors want right now. There's also some signs here of some kind of urgent, some would say forced selling. Uh, You know, we've talked about a lot of the pain a lot of the big hedge funds have had. Some of these have been concentrated names, although you would think by now with positioning very light, it's no longer been the case. Fang type stocks over an even longer period of time have essentially come back to the market. The uh, First Trust Internet ETF, FDN, uh, it basically is a FANG plus, FANG and FANG adjacent stocks. It does not have Apple in it, but it has a lot of the other ones very heavily weighted. This is a five-year look. So here's the, the lead you built up. It has not been behind the overall market until very recently right now. So you see that it really is a, the kind of tide going out in a pretty pronounced way on this category of stocks at the moment. Is there going to be some kind of valuation support? Do you get some relief on the on the, the bond yield side? We'll have to see. But right now, it just keeps testing lower. And yeah. pretty much all rallies have been treated as suspect, guys. Absolutely. We've seen some of those mega caps give up their leadership. Mike, first it was Netflix that, that did this round trip uh, to pre-pandemic levels. And I just can't look away from Amazon, which is down nearly 7%. Yeah. I mean, it is now at levels that we haven't seen since back in May of 2020. So it is almost there. The fact that this is such a large company, I mean, Netflix wasn't even close. What does that mean for the market? It's been a, a huge anchor on the NASDAQ and the overall market for a while right now. There is a line of thinking that says, you know, pretty much most of the of the heavyweights might have to kind of re- revisit those pre-pandemic levels. Nothing says there's a rule book that it implies it has to be that way. But right now, there's not a lot of, uh, of real fundamental faith in the moment that Amazon finds itself in. They talked about overinvesting. It seems like a less efficient financial story uh, right now. At the same time, there's near universal bullishness on the sell side still, even if it's just kind of complacent, uh, they're not willing to downgrade the stock type of activity. Uh, You still haven't seen those guys throw in the towel on the analyst front. Mike, back to the market overall, what message does it tend to send when a rally that strong gets given up that quickly? Well, that that the rally itself was at least to some degree exaggerated. There's definitely a little bit of a chase, a little bit of short selling. And it's a highly emotional market, John. I always point out that the market can move a very long distance if it's been at that spot very recently. 
So when you have a volatile market that's basically been just sort of ripping higher and lower, uh, you're, it's not that hard to get up 3% if you were just at that level four days ago. That's been the case for this market right now. Uh, and so you have to wait for that fever to break uh, and, you ha- and maybe you have uh, more secure, longer term. Stocks have to find their way into the hands of people that want to own them and not just trade them. And that sometimes is a pretty violent process. Mm. Own and not just trade. All right, Mike, thank you. Now let's bring in Canvas Venture Partners, Mike Gaffari. Uh, Mike, this market is weird for people who are trying to trade it. Um, But for those who are in for the long term, what message do you think that the recent action sends? And what are the themes, maybe technology-wise, innovation-wise, that people should really be focused on? Well, I think, look, e-commerce and marketplaces are getting hammered right now. Last time I was on, I talked about a bumpy ride that was ahead, and I think we're starting to see that. Yesterday, there was a false sense of hope uh, that that surrounded this idea that there wouldn't be an aggressive rate hike in the future. But I think the reality set in that we're in the middle of a long deleveraging cycle that's going to continue to be painful. In addition to that, you've got, obviously, inflation and labor issues. So I think you've got to buckle up for a bumpy ride ahead. I do think there will be names that will long-term make it out of this. For example, Amazon is a long-term hold. They face a lot of headwinds now. They are priced very aggressively. But it's hard for me to imagine a future five years from now where Amazon isn't a really valuable company and continuing to increase market share. Similarly, Shopify, some of these other names, you you could build a long-term bull case. So you have to pick very carefully. Uh, And at the same time, you have to ask yourself, uh, some of these stocks you might have been holding on to as glamour stocks, you know, are they worth as much as, as you thought they were last year? A lot of these companies are trading at lows that they haven't seen since 2020 or even right after the pandemic. Yeah, we're going to talk more about Shopify, I- I'm sure. L- a little bit more on that, because uh, Shopify this morning is down around 400, which coincidentally yeah. is where it was at the beginning of 2020 pre-pandemic. So all that talk about the world has changed, you know, all of this e-commerce progress has has been made within, you know, five, 10 years, within a short period of time. If any element of that is true, and if investors are able to correctly identify, if not winners, companies in a strong position, does that mean there are bargains to be had here with all this doubt? I think the one big caveat I'd place on that, generally, that line of reasoning is true, that there are bargains to be had, except the one thing we weren't facing in 2020 when we started this big acceleration of e-commerce. It's very real. People's metrics, you know, DoorDash did several years of of progress in, you know, in a few months. um, And a lot of companies in e-commerce saw that. The one challenge is that was in a very loose monetary environment. And it's very hard, no matter how much organic growth you have, to face both a, a difficult interest rate environment and increasing inflation that will eventually put downward pressure on consumer spending. So that's the challenge is this entire market was priced uh, yeah. you know, in 2020 under a different premise of loose monetary policy. And I think the environment we're facing now, there, there could, it could still go a lot lower. So you've either, if, if you're trying to day trade and if you're trying to call the bottom market, that's notoriously mm-hmm. difficult. If you have a long-term view, you can build a case around a few specific companies. If you have a reason to think they've got a defensible long-term moat uh, that will give them advantage, uh, and we can yeah. get into specific companies if that's helpful. Mike, you can have a long-term view, but you can still see companies perhaps never make it back to their highest valuations. I mean, when we talk a lot more often about the dot-com bubble bursting, you have a company like Cisco that has remained a valuable and an important company, but has never actually recouped all of those losses. You say Amazon is going to be valuable in the future. Um, Few would argue with that, but will it ever be able to attain that pandemic high? What's happening to valuations right now? And what do investors have to be worried of, even long-term ones? Look, I I think it's hard to say you go company by company. So in the dot-com crash, Amazon lost 90% of its value. But I think even from the peak, it's up around 15x. Uh, Now, Amazon was a much younger and smaller company. I'm a VC, and part of my job is to pick these companies when they're private uh, and much earlier before they hit the public markets. So for us, obviously, we see a lot of long-term upside in tech companies. We have to take a step back and say, relative to any other sector of the economy, tech does have the most growth potential. There's still lots of e-commerce penetration to go. There's still lots of software penetration, cloud penetration, infrastructure penetration to go in the U.S. and the whole world. And the U.S. still has a major technology lead fueling the world's the world's tech. So there's lots of upside in tech as a sector relative to the rest of the economy. 
and I think if you look at history, I think companies can recover to higher than their peaks, but there will be other stories of companies that got so overvalued that they never quite recover. I think the all-time highs, you just have to look at those as somewhat irrelevant and just say fundamentally, where's this company trading now? What's the quality of their earnings going forward? And what's their long-term advantage? Do they have a defensible position? Amazon did. Cisco didn't have as great of a position as Amazon did even back then. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. You know, as we're speaking, Mike, the Dow down a thousand points. This uh, market action is just brutal. And another part that is selling off we want to bring attention to is e-commerce. We had earnings from Shopify, eBay, Etsy. They're all plunging this morning. Their first quarter results showed a slowdown of pandemic-fueled growth. That's the main culprit. eBay and Etsy, weaker than expected guidance, outweighing each company's Q1 beat. Shopify reporting a miss on earnings and a cautious outlook. These results, they come just after a week after Amazon. We've been talking about this reported its slowest growth in two decades. That stock also in the red this morning amid the broader sell-off. Mike, we have talked about Amazon, but if you're trying to figure out some of these other smaller names, which are perhaps the future Amazons, which are the Cisco's, which may not exist at all. Yeah. What do you think? So, look, I personally own some Shopify, and I do believe that, you know, the, the three major headwinds right now, labor shortages, inflation risk, and interest rates. Um, those are three major headwinds facing all these companies, not to mention supply chain or, you know, Ukraine war uh, pressures. So Amazon faces all of these risks. One interesting thing about Shopify is they're not as as exposed to labor unions the way Amazon is. Uh, They can this might be a moment for Shopify to come out ahead and say, look, yes, we we share some of this inflation and macro risk, but actually we can build this rebel alliance. They just made, I think, a very smart acquisition of this company deliver in the logistics and fulfillment space. So they're making a real run at Amazon where there's some perceived weakness right now. So Shopify could come out ahead. The only caveat I put is they're still very richly valued. So if you look at their valuation multiple on earnings and revenue, it's still pretty high. The revenue multiple is starting to come into, you know, some some realm of reality. So you really have to believe that long term there's going to be some future cash flow there. I could build that bull case, but I could also see them dropping a bit more before they bounce back. Mike, you say that Shopify is not exposed to unions. But as they're trying to move more into fulfillment, right, aren't they exposed to labor costs, whether it's technically unions or not could end up being, depending on uh, how how strongly they push into that. They're going to end up having to pay either because of a union or because of the related market costs, right, The, the cost of that human labor. That is correct. I think labor costs will be higher for everyone. But when you're a company that's directly exposed to a unionization movement, when you have lots of you know uh, headlines and pressure around dealing with that, when there's executive mindshare that has to go to thinking about labor relations in the long term, that might lead to a you know a healthier relationship, let's say for Amazon with their with labor. But that's just those are more headaches that the Shopify management team doesn't have to kind of worry about. Shopify says, hey, we can let other participants in the market figure that out. So I think they're going to have an easier go of it with regard to labor. Mike, thanks for your insights on this uh, just brutal market day. Mike Gaffari, Craft Ventures. Thank you. Let's stay with the broader market. The Dow is flirting with a 1,000-point drop right now, uh, more than 950 points down. The NASDAQ is down more than 4%. Malcolm Etheridge of CIC Wealth is with us now on some protection plays, perhaps, in tech with all this volatility. I mean, is there any protection or is there just down less? Malcolm, can you hear me? 
I can. Can you hear me? I can. Uh, so what about that protection? Yeah, I, I think protection is probably uh, as good as it gets at this point. But the, the distinction I would make is just that, you know, quality tech names seem to be getting sold off, you know, indiscriminately alongside lesser quality names, you know, at the bottom of the QQQ and in the ARK Innovation ETFs and such, right? I'm talking about names like Microsoft and AMD and NVIDIA. I'm not talking about junk here, right? These companies all have major enterprise clients, long-term deals and, you know, government contracts stretching into the end of this decade. So there are companies that are getting sold right now that are selling at a, a decent discount that are worth a look, but uh, that's as good as it gets, I think, if you want the word protection, in the, especially in the tech sector. Yeah, speaking of AMD, it's down almost 6% this morning, but still uh, up more than 4% uh, for a full week if, if you're looking at that. What message does that send about a company that did so well on earnings outperforming? Uh, and, and then how quickly yesterday afternoon's rally deteriorated? I mean, for, for investors who are wondering how much they can trade and how much they have to hold their nose and be in it for the long haul, what message is this market sending? Yeah, I think, uh, well, it's two things. One, it's become, if it's not already become, it's becoming a stock picker's market, right? And so we have to focus more on uh, quality names that are uh, returning capital to shareholders, whether that's through buybacks or dividends or some kind of M&A activity. Uh, I would be focusing on those sorts of companies that are better quality uh, instead of trying to go dumpster diving here or go on a shopping spree uh, and just buying tech indiscriminately. Because this, the, the companies doing those buybacks that I'm talking about, something like a trillion dollars is Goldman's estimate of what buyback activity will look like by the end of this year. Uh, those are the companies that the second half of this year will likely end up uh, having a decent uh, little comeback here and not necessarily because of any fundamentals or any sort of you know new product offering that's accretive to the bottom line. It's going to be because share buybacks are just attractive to folks who are looking for uh, companies that are returning capital to them in the near term when interest rates are up and everything seems to be selling off. So you guys just got done talking about Amazon as an example. Yeah. Amazon set to buy uh, buy back something like $10 billion mm -hmm. worth of its own shares this year. That's probably enough to make people pile back into mm -hmm. the name, at least in the short term, uh, and bring that share price back in the right direction. Well, not yet, at least, Malcolm. What about the idea of not buying anything at all? We've had, it feels like an increasing number of voices on this network say that Cash preservation is the name of the game in this market, and maybe today adding fuel to that argument. What do you think? Do you sit on cash when you see this much volatility and so many macro headwinds ahead? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think for anybody who has the, the, the stomach for this kind of volatility, the right kind of temperament to not get overheated and start selling if you bought the NASDAQ today and then suddenly it starts falling another 5 or 10% next week like it very well could. Today is very much proof of that. Uh, if you're the person who has that kind of temperament and maybe a longer term outlook, by all means, you know, start start. Uh, adding to your shopping list and, and, and mm. you know, picking out the names you like. But for most people, it's probably not the right time to be going on that shopping spree, having that dry powder on the sideline and waiting for the right, right opportunity. I think you're going to get more opportunities since we know the Fed is poised to raise rates a couple more times before the year is out. Malcolm, we saw Shopify do something interesting earlier this week. Its founder and CEO, Toby Luque, um, said that he's going to be asking for shareholder approval for a founder share that would essentially give him more voting power. I thought this was so interesting because obviously that company, in terms of its market cap, its value has come down so much. Is this a good thing for investors? Do you think that we will see more of this from CEOs that are also founders, try to protect their position, maybe fend off M&A activity? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, we will start to hear and see more of these types of uh, activities that that smell a little Adam Newman-y uh, in, the, in the future, where companies that are concerned that their share prices have, have gotten whacked enough that folks are starting to look at them uh, and, and maybe they're on the chopping block. I, I do think, though, investors should be weary of that kind of activity. I think uh, focusing on companies that uh, had no business coming out in the last couple of years, coming out public in the last couple of years, and they did so anyway because all the SPAC money was there and it was, it was the time to get it. I, I think uh, you're going to see quite a few more of those types of uh, uh, attempts uh, as we go through the remainder of this year. Uh, and I, I just would caution investors to... Uh, 
not go for the the, the okie doke in that situation where um, you know it, it looks a lot 1999 2000 and you'll start to see more and more private equity tech acquisitions start to happen. That's how we'll know when we scrape the bottom as far as tech valuations are concerned. Um, when companies that had no business going public in the first place start to go back private, we'll, we'll have some idea that we're there. Now that being said, we are talking about Shopify, which is up more than 4x. Uh, over the past five years, even after this drop, and it's still a $50 billion company. So are we at risk of getting into a period where investors' short-term jitters uh, could also get in the way of founders and CEOs' long-term strategies? People got so excited about the hype over the last couple of years, maybe they thought that was normal? Well, I would ask, you know, is it the the investing public, the retail investor who got uh, overheated in that sense? Or, or was it the CEO that sort of made, you know, promises that that made it sound good, right? CEOs, half their job is coming out and telling a good story. And maybe they're they're uh, living and dying by that sword where they told such a good story. The expectation was we're going to continue this ride forever. And now that the music has stopped and there's only one chair left, you know, uh, all of a sudden those CEOs are having to go back and, and, and recalibrate how they speak to their investors. But in some cases, it could be too late. Yeah, I think it was a segment of the investing public. I know we, we tried to keep people sober over here, but it didn't always work. Uh, Malcolm, thank you. Thanks, guys. Meanwhile, media names, they are certainly not immune from today's sell-off and what has already been a rough period for that sector. Post-earnings, Julia Borston is with Paramount CEO Bob Backish on today's volatile media landscape. Julia, over to you. Thanks so much, Deirdre. Bob, thank you so much for being with us today. We've been sitting here watching the stock market plummet, and I'm thinking about all the different ways in which Paramount is exposed to fears of a recession, economic uncertainty. You have try, you know, the fact that you're trying to sell movie tickets. You have the advertising business, um, streaming subscription questions. But I want to start with the movie business. Um, you have some big movies coming out this summer. Are you concerned that audiences will be wary of spending up for movie tickets, not only because they're feeling these economic pressures, but unlike past recessions, they have so many free or inexpensive options at home? So we're feeling great about Paramount and what it's doing in the film business. I mean, you saw Top Gun Maverick last night, but before we get there, you know, we're right now, we're four for four. We're the only Hollywood studio to open four films, number one in the box office. That started with some uh, younger skewing male films. Then uh, we've aged up to uh, adult audience, a kids and family audience. So that was Scream, Jackass, um, Lost City, and then mm -hmm. Sonic. Um, every one of them outperformed our expectations. Every one was number one. So people are clearly back to come into the box office. Sentiment is very good. Uh, and we can't wait to open Top Gun Maverick in, in Memorial Day weekend. It is a film that is uh, fantastic, as you saw last night. But in terms of all of this economic uncertainty and how it's going to impact the consumer, do you expect consumers to pull back in terms of going out to movie theaters or maybe in terms of may not paying for as many streaming services? Look, what the data suggests is people are dying to get out in the real life again. And Every one of those films I just commented on, the four that have opened, outperformed our expectations, had broader audience delivery than we modeled. So people are looking for entertainment options, including out of the home. I think that's going to continue. And again, I think that you're going to see it really at scale with Top Gun Maverick over the Memorial Day weekend. So we feel very good about that. Shifting gears over to the streaming business, you did add more streaming subscribers than expected in the quarter, but we just had Netflix warn that they expect to lose 2 million subscribers in the second quarter. Are you worried about not only a saturated market, but consumers who are increasingly strapped for cash and not wanting to pay for as many services? So we are, remain tremendously excited about the opportunity for our company in streaming. If you look at it, you know, the market out there today is massive and, and will only grow if, based on what consumers are doing. Importantly, we're going at it in a differentiated way than the legacy streamers. We, as you know, have both pay, Paramount Plus, um, low price pay with ads, Paramount Plus, and free, Pluto TV. So that pay plus free strategy, dual revenue stream, subscription, and advertising 
really gives us the opportunity to maximize consumer appeal, frankly, gives us some diversification. Um, and we, again, feel very good about that, creating a huge opportunity for us in streaming. I think it was interesting in your numbers that even overall, you, though overall you saw an increase in streaming subs, some of the more niche services like Showtime, BET, did see a decline in subscribers. Do you think you're going to see subscribers shift away from some of these smaller and maybe more expensive services over to these lower cost or, or free services like Pluto TV? So again, I think there's power in the portfolio. Our flagship service, Paramount Plus, added 6.8 million subs in the first quarter. Um, it is true that the uh, other segment uh, had a slight decline. I'd also point out that those services added over 5 million subs in 2021, so they have real consumer appeal. We had some programming timing mm -hmm. on some of those services in Q1. So we fundamentally believe it's a powerful strategy for maximizing, again, access to that total addressable market and feel very good about its prospects going forward. Pluto TV was definitely the beginning in terms of the free ad supported, but it, now it seems like as these streamers worry about subscribers not wanting to maybe pay as much money, not only do we have Disney Plus um, working on launching a, a lower cost ad supported service, but then you also have Netflix working on an ad supported service. Are you worrying about more competition in that, in that tier of offerings for these, these newly cash-strapped consumers. So again, we have a differentiated strategy versus the legacy streamers. That included being the first to believe in advertising at scale. You know, when we bought Pluto TV, uh, including, you know, talking on CNBC, people questioned what was it. And at the time, coming out of 2018, it had 70 million in revenue. In 2021, it had over a billion in revenue. Um, and it continues to grow very strongly. Our D2C ad-supported uh, revenue was up 58% in the first quarter. Um, so we think Pluto has a tremendous road ahead. We think what people are now talking about on the legacy streamer side is validation of a strategy we long believed in. And I'd also point out that being in the ad business is not that easy. We've been an ad leader not only in streaming, but in linear media as well. And we're very much looking forward to showcasing the combined capabilities at an upfront back in real life in Carnegie Hall on May 16th, I think it is, May 16th or 18th. Um, and, and it's a tremendous asset in our company. It is a differentiator. And again, people are following us in, that's fine. We're the leader, we have momentum, and there's value in being a first mover. But let's talk about this linear advertising business in general. There are questions that with the recession, economic uncertainty, pause for the airplane. Um, Fightertown, USA. <laughs> exactly. Um, there, you know, we've already seen a negative impact on advertising from supply chain constraints, um, from inflation, and now there's this question of how a consumer recession could also impact advertising overall. What's your outlook for advertising, and how much do you think it'll be impacted by the kinds of uh, market swings and volatility that we're seeing today? So, look, in Q1, we had a solid ad quarter. If you take out the Super Bowl comp, we were plus 4% in TV media. Add in D2C, we were plus 8%. Um, and as I said, the D2C side was plus 58%. So um, we see solid performance there. And we saw some real strength in categories that had been lacking for a while, categories like film, for an example. It is true that there are some category softness. The auto category is, continues to suffer with supply chain. So we got to manage through that. But fundamentally, people need to advertise to move product. We're a leader in that space. Um, and we have tremendous levers we can pull to help product, you know, production manufacturers and suppliers um, move their product. Uh, and we just think it's a tremendous opportunity. I mean, our, for our final question, I, I want to get you to weigh in on M&A. There's been a lot of speculation that in the wake of Warner Brothers Discovery merging, that maybe there would be another deal and maybe Paramount, formerly Viacom CBS, could be a part of that. Do you think that you need to have bigger scale to successfully compete not only with the other streamers, but also the tech giants? So if you look at our company, we have a world-class portfolio of assets. We have one of the few Hollywood studios with over 100 years of films in the library. We have the number one broadcast network in the United States, which, by the way, is number one, even though it didn't have the Olympics and the Super Bowl. So that speaks to the underlying power of our programming. We have the largest broadcast network portfolio in the world. We have a leading cable network portfolio with the number one ad supported But do you streamer. need to merge or acquire another company for scale? In a word, no. We have uh, a great asset portfolio. We're executing well. We have tremendous momentum um, and, frankly, see plenty of upside ahead. Look, as stewards of shareholder value, we'll always consider other options. But I like our organic hand, and I think the market is starting to see the power of Paramount. 
But we will leave it there. Bob Backish, CEO of Paramount, thank you so much for joining us today to reflect on everything going on in the media space, but also this market volatility. John, back over to you. And Julia, thank you as well. Now, bring everybody back up to speed. We are about two hours into the trading day. And boy, hold your stomach. The Dow is down just about 1,000 points. It's been hovering around there. That would be about 3%. It's 2.9 at the moment, down about uh, 978 points. The S&P down just shy of 3.5%. And the NASDAQ down more than Four and a half percent. You want to talk about what's losing the most on the Nasdaq 100. Uh, Cognizant is off more than 10 percent. CrowdStrike also off more than 10 percent. Match, which we talked about yesterday, having a CEO change down 10 percent. Airbnb, which had good earnings, mm-hmm. also down about 10 percent. D. And then you got some e-commerce names. Uh, Mercado Libre uh, is down quite a bit, as is eBay. Now. Behind all of this, a lot of it anyway, we're talking about e-commerce, is the state of the consumer. We just had Bob Mm -hmm. Backish talking about his hopes for how consumers want to get back to movies and how they've got Pluto TV, which is ad supporter, doesn't require consumers to come out of pocket so much. There's a big question, I think, about who's differentiated enough to get that additional consumer dollar and, and what consumers are willing to spend on. And as a whole, John, I think that's just such a key question for this market. So far, consumer demand has been holding up pretty well. I mean, you look back to Amazon's earnings. Yes, they have that overcapacity issue, but management insists that by all the metrics they're looking at, the consumer demand, the consumer still looks strong. Um, so that is key. And I know we're going to be talking to the Expedia CEO later this, um, later this hour. But if that holds up, is this sell-off overdone? Or is this market, of course, as a leading indicator, John, telling us that it may not, that with the Fed tightening, with inflation, we may actually just see some of that pullback. And the streamers get caught up in that as well. Was subscription, that subscription model, a pandemic thing? Yeah, we're talking about it as a sell-off, and indeed it is, but people got to keep in mind there was a big run-up in the afternoon yesterday. So we are still roughly mm-hmm. at the levels, even on, you know, I'm looking at the Dow, we're at levels where we were trading during the day yesterday. But yeah. it's just all those gains uh, got given up. And then, you know, another thing to note, AMD is down this morning, but they had standout earnings on market share gains and a differentiated product. Apple also had great uh, earnings. A little, you know, iffy about the guidance based on some things outside their control. But again, a differentiated product, a premium product, like some of the AMDs that consumers are willing to spend on. So perhaps the long-term story isn't completely broken. But boy, if you're a trader, there's a lot of volatility to trade. Yeah, and some of the sectors, too. You mentioned CrowdStrike, one of the biggest laggards on the NASDAQ, John. But as an industry, as a sector, cybersecurity is getting caught on the downside today. That has been one of the areas in tech that has uh, held up a little bit better. Another name caught up in today's swing to the downside, that's Fortinet, delivering a beat in Q1 on both revenue and EPS, raising their guidance for 2022. The street does like what they're seeing. Mizuho upgrading the cybersecurity firm from neutral to buy and increasing their price target to 350 bucks. BTIG, Wells Fargo upping their targets as well. As I mentioned, shares are sinking this morning despite those results, although if you take a look to nearly 3% is not bad considering the overall broader sell-off. Let's bring in Paul Hickey of Bespoke right now as the market continues to sustain dramatic losses. Um, Paul, what's going on here? I know that we were breathlessly talking about how the Dow was almost down 1,000, the Nasdaq down more than 4.5%. But as John said, this doesn't bring us back to levels that we haven't just seen. Is this a little bit too panicky? What do you what do you think is of the breadth of the sell-off? I mean, so far, I mean, if you look at an intraday chart of the market today, it's just basically a straight line lower. So, I mean, there's there's I mean, this isn't just uh, necessarily retail people uh, trading here. Um, you know, there's there's you know some heavy pressure on the market. Uh, but to John's point, I mean, yesterday afternoon we saw a lot of excitement when Powell took. 75 basis points um, at a single meeting off the table. But I think that if you were listening to the press conference, it overshadowed some other commentary that um, hardly painted a rosy picture. I mean, uh, at one point he was saying we have a good chance of a softish landing, um, and then talking about um, the process of tightening isn't going to be pleasant. 
Um, I mean, I get that the Fed has become more transparent over the, uh, in re- more recent history, but I mean, that, that kind of commentary isn't typically what you hear from a Fed chair um, yeah. uh, talking about the present conditions. So I think, you know, the market may have gotten a little bit um, overextended and, and happy uh, yesterday, and then, you know, we're getting a reality check today. And, and um, you know, the the fact is, Powell is right. It's not going to be pleasant here. Mm-hmm. Um, inflation has shown signs that it's not going anywhere over the last 24 hours. Crude oil making a higher high this morning. Um, and the in the ISM reports, the prices paid to the manufacturing report, that's pulled off the ties. But in the services sector, that's hitting, that continues to hit new highs. So, um, you know, that tends to be a leading indicator of inflation. And uh, we haven't seen that. Um, you know, level off yet. So those are, I mean, I, I think the market, mm-hmm. there, there, there's still some concerns out there um, for the market uh, so, that we have to get through. Yeah. So that concerning picture that you say uh, Fed Chair Powell painted yesterday, is that especially bad for tech? I mean, the Nasdaq far underperforming the broader markets this year. Does that continue? What do you do with the sector? Do you just step away? I, I mean, I think, you know, in, in the short run, uh, you know, when, when you start seeing this kind of, you know, tantrums in the market, uh, you know, the best thing to do is just let it, you know, almost let it burn itself out here. Um, you know, it, it, it's pretty crazy to think about it. We almost forgot about it. But I mean, you know, we had a 3% rally yesterday in the NASDAQ and a, and a 3% decline today. We just, the last time we saw that was last week. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but these kinds of, of back and forth swings, they, they've typically only occurred during the most volatile periods um, in NASDAQ history. You go, you see it, you saw it in uh, 87 after the crash. You saw it in, in 2000 and 2002 period. Uh, you saw it late in the financial crisis. In, you saw it in 2011 and 2020. Um, you saw it. So, And what you tended to see during those periods is these volatile periods, short-term reactions for the market were extreme, you know, were, were much weaker than average uh, for all periods. And then, but as you get further out, so for, if you're just a, a trader here, uh, you, there's bias to the downside, but then you look further out, these kind of volatile periods for a long-term investor, they do set the stage for, you know, attractive uh, buying opportunities. And a year later, um, following these other periods where you saw the back-to-back swings in the, uh, in the NASDAQ where it was up 3%, down 3%, uh, you saw, you know, significantly better than average returns over the next year. So, um, you know, wow. that's... That, that's one thing to keep in mind. Is it possible that the Fed actually got the messaging right and that's what the market is bearing out this morning? I mean, when they took, when Powell took 75 basis points off the table and, and the market shot higher, there were some people saying yesterday, oh, well, shouldn't have done that. But now it's gone back down to roughly where we were yesterday, perhaps based on some of the, well, things aren't all that great. We think we can sort of land the plane softly <laughs> language that the Fed was giving. So maybe... The Fed's got people appropriately cautious, even though, you know, the, the sky isn't falling to the tune of uh, 75 basis points. What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, so, so great. Yeah, we're not, we're not going to hike, uh, you know, we're not going to hike 75 basis points at a single meeting. But, you know, they, they, he did reiterate the point that the Fed is committed to getting inflation under control. And if that's their objective, well, maybe they don't do it in 75 basis point increments. But then it gets stretched out longer over 50 basis point increments. So, uh, you know, I think and the other thing we've seen from the Fed over the last three or four months is that they've sort of eased the market into um, getting here. You know, we weren't even the, the thought of even a 50 basis point hike, you know, three months ago was on, you know, wasn't on really many people's radar that the Fed would do it at all. And yesterday, you know, we rallied three percent after they did it. So. Um, it's, it's almost like easing the market and easing investors into, um, you know, what they're ultimately going to have to do and, um, you know, getting there slower rather than fast. Paul Hickey, thanks for joining us today with your insights. Talk to you again soon. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks. The Dow right now down uh, just shy of 900 points. So uh, off the lows, certainly the S&P and NASDAQ perhaps bottoming out at least for the moment as trading continues. And meantime, uh, uh, travel names are getting swept off uh, in this downdraft. Our own Seema Modi joins us now with Expedia Group CEO Peter Kern. Seema? John, thank you. Peter, welcome back to CNBC. We appreciate you joining us today on a a big market day. You know, their story from you and other CEOs has been that this 
travel rebound has been extremely strong, yet the market seems to be a bit more discerning, right? Are investors wrong to question whether this rebound in travel can last? Yeah, I mean, we, we haven't seen any signs. I've heard you talking about inflation and the Fed issues, but we haven't seen any signs of consumers being impacted in terms of travel spend. Uh, we all know there was lots of pent-up savings and underspend during COVID on, uh, on services and travel, et cetera. And uh, we've been anticipating, and so far it seems to be bearing out that people are interested in spending and, if anything, spending more on services as opposed to goods and, and, and things they were buying during COVID. What is your response to the stock performance we've seen today? Your stock is down today and this week. You announced a number of new products today, earnings on Monday, where the, the results were good, but you also indicated that costs were going up. Yeah, I mean, we've said for a long time that our fixed cost base, when we took a lot of costs out during COVID, that you know there are things like wage inflation going on. We are investing in certain opportunities where, the, where we think there's growth, uh, and we're bringing in great people to, to drive that. But that's not really news. I think, uh, you know, from our perspective, the product innovations we're doing, the work we're doing on uh, traveler success and sort of changing the future of product engagement with our price prediction products and other things, you know, is a real step in innovation. And on the B2B side, which we talked a lot about yesterday at our conference, uh, we have great opportunities as we re rebuild our platform to power many more partners in lots of new ways. So we think there's a terrific opportunity to keep expanding both of those things and help build the ecosystem. Okay. You hope that these product enhancements will drive bookings. Uh, on the topic of inflation, we've seen hotel rates, Peter, jump around 40% compared to the same time a year ago. A lot of questions around whether this is sustainable. On the call, you did reference that we could start to see travelers uh, opt for cheaper alternative vacations. Are you starting to see that now? When do you expect that to show up? Yeah, we haven't seen that so far. Uh, what we call ADRs, rates have been uh, been very strong through COVID, particularly in the middle and upper end of the markets. It is a little bit geographically based, so cities have been less strong on the ADR front, where some of the luxury and uh, sorry resort markets have been stronger that we've talked about for for quarter after quarter. You know, beach vacations, mountains, things like that. But cities are now catching up, and city ADRs are growing as well. So there appears to be sustainable growth in rate. And the market seems to have absorbed it. My point on earnings was that if we do see inflation impact on travelers, we don't think it reduces travel. We think, if anything, perhaps travelers take a little bit off what their ambition is of where they were going or what they were staying in, but they're still going to travel. Hey, Peter, it's Deirdre. So you're not seeing inflation affect the, affect the product yet, and you're also not seeing a slowdown in terms of that travel rebound. But I wonder, uh, given the Fed's commentary about the economy and a potential slowdown, do you start preparing for what some softness could look like? What would that mean? Sure. I mean, we're, we're obviously, like every company, we think about what, what it could mean as travelers uh, make adjustments. But as I mentioned, Unlike some of the earlier guests you had and, you know, whether people are cutting off streaming services, et cetera, we think the pent up demand in travel will continue to drive travel demand. So for us, it's really about helping customers find the right thing at the right price for them. Uh, you know, we, we spent a lot of time yesterday talking about how uh, price has been really the predominant driver in travel shopping online for a long time. And we're trying to make sure we're matching customers with the right product so that they have great outcomes and keep traveling. So we think that that flywheel keeps going for the foreseeable future. Obviously, if we have a major economic meltdown that some of you are talking about from time to time, uh, things could slow over time. So this isn't a prognostication forever if we end up in you know, a highly inflationary period where people are cutting spending on everything. But for the foreseeable future, there does not appear to be an impact. And if the market is right and the economy does continue to slow down, Peter, I'm wondering how that impacts your uh, ability to continue to compete with your peers like Booking Holdings and Airbnb, both of which uh, really share a, a strong, upbeat outlook. Yeah, I mean, I think we all have a strong, upbeat outlook because we all believe in the travel recovery. I think uh, each of us has our advantages. Uh, Airbnb is a great brand uh, and direct business. Booking.com is a great performance marketing machine. We are building into what we think the future is in the winning strategy, which is great product for the customer that matches them better with what they're trying to do, creates better traveler outcomes. Uh, that's where we're investing our time and money, along with how we can power our partners in more ways. Our B2B business has expanded its reach through COVID, and we expect that to grow dramatically in the future. So those, you know, we each have our playbook, and I think we all believe in the travel recovery strongly. 
Yeah, that seems to be the case. Peter, we appreciate you joining us today on this big market day. Peter Kern, CEO and vice chair of Expedia. And Seymour, Thank thanks to you for, for bringing us that interview. Uh, check on the markets. The major indexes have bounced off session lows. However, the Nasdaq is still down more than 4%. Dom Chu has a look at the key movers for us. Dom. So that, Deirdre, to your point, that bigger than 4% drop, even though it's off the session lows right now, brings the total drawdown from the record highs in the Nasdaq and the Nasdaq 100 to a pretty steep amount here. If you look at the Invesco QQQ Trust, Uh, the instrument that many traders and investors use to take a view on that Nasdaq trade. We are now from the record highs here down roughly 23 percent from those levels. So bringing that drawdown back into play again, still in that so-called bear market territory. That's a drawdown of 20 percent or more from the highs. If you take that kind of top down approach, if you look at the industry groups now within that bigger kind of tech trade overall, there is where you're seeing some of the real underperformance and key parts of it. We're looking at specifically places like software, like semiconductors, that sort of thing. In fact, the Vanek Vector Semiconductor ETF is down 4%, but it's 5% for software ETFs. Fintech ETFs are down 6%, and so are the big Internet-related companies. And forget about house in the U.S. It's even worse for those Chinese Internet stocks that are traded here in the U.S. Take a look at the Crane Shares China Internet ETF ticker KWEB, KWEB, which is down 7% right now. Some of the stocks right now that are driving a lot of that action that we were just talking about are the brand names that we know about the most. If you look within the S&P 500, the broader measure of the market, some of the worst performing stocks are the names that you recognize. NVIDIA is down 7% right now. Amazon's down 7%. PayPal down 6%. Meta Platform slash Facebook down 6%. And 6.25% declines for Netflix overall. So the tech and tech-adjacent type movers are really moving to the downside. But Deirdre, I'm not all about the gloom and doom. I'm not all about the fear, uncertainty, doubt. I want to show you one tech-related firm that is actually in the green and very strongly so today, and that's EPAM Systems. This is a tech consulting, engineering consulting type services firm. It's been a pretty bad move since the record highs that we saw over the last year down to where we are now. Still, though, EPAM is up big today, 10%, John, after this morning reporting a better quarter in terms of profits and revenues than analysts expected. So despite a 50% drawdown right now, it's still up 10% today. John, I'll send things back over to you. Bringing EPAM to cheer us up, uh, Dom, quite the move. Okay, so so here's here's my question sort of on the NASDAQ. We were talking about how rough uh, April was for people who were long. I I think the the close on the last trading day of April was 12,334. Right now, we've, we've, we're back in the 12.3 territory, uh, 12.395, um, and we're getting toward the end of the first week in May. What does that say about this market? What do traders say? What do the technicians say if we get back down to that, uh, to that late April low? Are you trying to find an end run around of saying, is this the sell in May and go away type situation developing right before the summer season? You know, this is interesting. The seasonal aspect is something people are going to be talking about. But it, in my mind, the traders I've spoken to are referring less to the seasonal tendencies this time around and more just to the macro environment in general that we're in. More, more, more so that risk aversion trade overall. Now, what I hadn't shown you here is if you could look at a four year chart right now, of the 10-year Treasury note yield, what you would see is that we are at the the highest levels now for the 10-year note yield at 3.05%, going all the way back to December of 2018. In that way, if interest rates are going to be dominating that part of the discussion, what it could be telling you is that that tech-driven sell-off may still have legs going forward. If May is going to be one of those months where people say, hey, you know what, I'm going to flatten my positions out. I'm a hedge fund. I'm a trader who's got a decent P&L or I'm trying to kind of stem some losses. Maybe what I want to do is just take the risk off the table, degross myself a little bit and go into the summer months with not as much exposure. That's one way to look at it. But I would also say that if this does get a lot worse, you cannot help but think there will be traders out there who are feeling somewhat of an urge to nibble a little bit. Now, We spoke to Jenny Harrington this morning on Worldwide Exchange, and she said, "Ah, you know, maybe this is not the time that you want to go be chasing everything that had higher multiples. But still, if there had been a precedent set, guys, of a certain stock at a certain valuation, and it's been a huge drawdown since, you may not go right away into it, but you got to help but think, you can't help but think that maybe this is the time that you want to start looking at some of those valuations, Deirdre. That's the reason why you want to kind of take a look at the drawdowns that we're seeing. 
Yeah, absolutely. As we continue to do. Dom, thanks so much. You got it. Joining today's sell-off, crypto-exposed trading plays like Robinhood and Coinbase, which have seen their user growth stall since the height of the pandemic. So perhaps a little more fundamental then. These stocks have been absolutely crushed, as you can see, including Block, formerly Square. Coinbase is down double digits today. Wow, I thought that these were monthly charts, Kate Rooney. Block is down, or Robinhood down 22%. Um, what's going on here, particularly on a day like today? Yes, yeah, so we've got Square earnings today. That story and sentiment really around Block has been all about crypto and CEO Jack Dorsey's long-term plans for that company. But in the near term, Bitcoin really hasn't been a meaningful part of Block's bottom line. Last quarter, for example, Bitcoin trading revenue neared $2 billion, but of that, net profit was just 2% of that total. Bitcoin accounted for about 3.9 of total net profit. That's expected to shrink this quarter as crypto trading activity slowed down. There's been a lot less volatility in digital asset markets as well. And Block has gotten crushed, as we talked about, D, with some of the high multiple tech names. It's down more than 8% today. Some analysts, though, say it's better positioned than some of its uh, fintech peers heading into earnings. It is less exposed to e-commerce than, say, PayPal, eBay, or Shopify. The square seller side of the business may also benefit from reopening. It's a bit more exposed to restaurants and small businesses. And then you've got Cash App. That's really been the growth story for Block and now makes up about half of revenue. Stimulus checks drove that outsized growth last year. Tax refunds, though, could be a boost this year. Block did buy Credit Karma's tax filing business. Today will also be the first time we hear about Afterpay. That's going to be included. And uh, that, of course, is the buy now, pay later company that Block bought. But a lot of concern, concerns around consumer credit and some of the regu- regulatory issues. You've got a firm down about 13 percent today, D. Kate, thank you so much. We'll dive into it later this afternoon. Looking forward to that. Uh, Meanwhile, Shopify single... John, I think we're going to talk Shopify a bit later, but we are continuing to look at the markets. Uh, The Nasdaq still down 4.5%. Yeah, and, uh, you know, just as I was saying that the Dow was sort of bottoming out, um, uh, perhaps popping up around down 900, it's back down 981 going to be flirting with a thousand points down again. Of course, we'll continue to track that all day here on CNBC. And we'll have more on today's sharp swing lower after this break. Don't go anywhere. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until that presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Quick check on the markets. We are hitting session lows here. The Dow now down more than 1,000 points. The S&P down three and seven-tenths of a percent. The 10-year yield hitting its highest level since 2018. And, of course, it continues to just be a brutal session for tech with the Nasdaq uh, massively underperforming. John, now down almost 5%. Yeah, I was jumping the gun there. Excited to talk about cloud stocks, which got a brief bounce after yesterday's Fed decision. Brief But they lost it all. The WCLD Wisdom Tree Cloud Computing Index now down more than 7%, just a hair below where it was trading at this time yesterday. Frank Holland joins us with a look at that space. Frank. Hey there, John. You know, cloud stocks, they bounced after the Fed announced it would hike rates the expected 50 points. But a 75-point hike was pretty much off the table. But now you can see they're falling hard today. You see Salesforce down 7%, Snowflake down 10%, Datadog down 9%. These are what you call the top of the stack. These are app-based cloud stocks. Now, solid, uh, solid performance today. All, going, all of them went positive in that late-day rally. But again, as you can see, now deeply in the red. Uh, two factors here. The first, of course, is interest rates. Now, you look at the 10-year yield. 
fall after the decision right here, and then you see cloud stocks, they just go right up. Overnight, that's kind of reversed. Uh, the 10-year yield's going above that 3% milestone. You can see right here, cloud stocks simply just going down. These stocks are also high beta, so they're sensitive to general market trends. But there is a mega trend of back to the office that Cowan says will spark an elevated investment cycle that will be good for cloud stocks, especially those focused on enterprise resource planning. That includes financials, supply chain, manufacturing, and talent management. As we see the uptick in all workers, including IT professionals, getting back in the office, that gives them hands-on access they need to improve these systems, which can be nine, 12-month projects that are very labor-intensive. They are still very much in need of modernization. There is a lot of legacy, antiquated, old systems that are not agile, that um, have old UIs. They're not mobile-enabled. Cowan says Cloud ERP is about a $50 billion TAM with Oracle, SAP, and Workday, really controlling about 50% of that market and expected to see the biggest upside from that trend even as interest rate pressure continues to weigh on this sector and even these stocks. You see SAP down 28% over the last year. Frank, thank, thank you for that. We have been talking e-commerce stocks leading the declines today. So is this an e-commerce recession? We're going to look at Shopify for today's edition of Overvalued, Undervalued. Those Q1 earnings reflecting the same post-pandemic struggles, hitting a lot of its competitors, tougher comps, slowing growth, consumers returning to stores. Jefferies says the numbers are worse than expected. However, they do see value in the company's acquisition of Deliver, projecting it will accelerate the Shopify fulfillment network's path to serving merchants at scale. Bulls like Bush see long-term potential, saying they expect near-term headwinds to be transitory, not structural. We will see if that plays out. Shares are now down more than 17%, adding to those year-to-date heavy losses. John, there is a bear case to be made. I think we hit it earlier. I think the idea that Toby Tobias Luke is looking for that founder share is interesting. What did our earlier guest call it? Adam Newmany. I know that <laughs> Shopify, he's done a good job leading the company, but if we see more and more of this, it does kind of beg a question of is this what we want to see from our CEOs? Yeah, okay. Governance is important, but the idea of talking about Toby Luke and Adam Newman in the same sentence is kind of ridiculous <laughs> to me, okay? Uh, what Shopify has done and is doing is a real powerful trend in e-commerce and in the digitization and transformation of small business. And that was important in the pandemic. I think businesses have gotten that. I, I, I don't know what the right value for, for Shopify is. Not my job. But I do think it's interesting to see which companies have the capital, have the vision to invest in the right things during downdrafts in the market when people who are short-termish, and that's going to be some investors as well, are pressuring them to do otherwise. So we'll see. And meanwhile, um, you know, just check the markets overall. The down now, I think near lows of the session, down about 1,140 points. The NASDAQ is off fully 5%. The S&P off 3.8%. Uh, D, this, uh, this sell-off is continuing. Now we're going to bring in our Bob Pisani, who is tracking everything at the NICE. Bob? I think the important thing here is uh, Mr. Powell may have repealed the idea of a 75 basis point uh, rate hike, but he hasn't repealed inflation. And if you look, the 10-year yield is up 17 basis points today, John. The two years up 10. That's reflecting inflation concerns. Maybe productivity numbers this morning were a real alarm. Productivity was way down. Unit labor costs were way up. And that's inflation. So the productivity is kind of like the speed limit for the economy. How fast can you go? It's hard for the economy to speed up or get better if productivity is way down. So the bottom line here is I think you have to look at it. Sustained inflation is eroding profit margins. It's going to potentially erode earnings estimates. I anticipate they will be coming down as well. And it's already eroded multiples. The multiple on the S&P 500, the forward multiple has gone from about 22 or 23 to 18 or 19. That accounts for most of the decline that we've seen in the S&P 500, 15, 16 percent so far this year. So what you want to do here is figure out where is the bottom for inflation. Everybody wants to watch the CPI. That's going to be next Wednesday. But if this keeps going on for months on end, we're going to continue to see those multiples under pressure, and then we're going to start seeing the earnings as well come under pressure. John? Bob, I wonder about catalysts and what, if anything, changes the direction of things here. I mean, when we were toward the end of April, the question was, oh, well, what more will earnings tell us? And, you know, will there be enough in there to sort of 
prop up yeah. uh, the market. And there were some good things, some good news, and a lot of these earnings, you know, AMD recently, they continue to gain share. Uh, they, they raised their outlook. Qualcomm also very strong. But we're back where we were at the end of April. So what does that say? Yeah, the... Uh, What's the second leg down can potentially happen when they start taking the earnings estimates down dramatically. The thing that has happened, remember, the two things that move the markets, multiple, which is how much you're willing to pay for a future stream stream of earnings, and then the earnings estimates themselves. Earnings estimates have not really come down significantly, except for a small handful of speculative tech stocks at all this year. They're still very steady. It's the multiple that's come down because when interest rates go up, the economy gets more uncertain. They pay less for a future stream of earnings. If all of a sudden the estimates, the actual earnings estimates start coming down dramatically, that's when there potentially could be another leg down that I think you're going to see now. And that's what the market's starting to reflect. I think those are the concerns that you're going to see right now. Yeah, and as we're talking, Bob, we are seeing the uh, NASDAQ losses now 5%. John, this is just a huge amount. Uh, Dom brought us EPAM earlier. Let me bring just one other name, one rare speck of green on my screen, and that is Endeavor. These shares actually holding on to gains of about eight-tenths of a percent, up 15% nearly year-to-date. Um, perhaps a reopening play, perhaps a play on streaming. So kind of interesting, but uh, what a sell-off it's been during our program. Only specks of green today. There's a lot of red. It's one of those days when you don't promo the podcast. You watch it live. Thanks, Bob. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.